Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Local officials are figuratively holding their breath as the U.S. Senate prepares to debate the fate of health care in America. Nowhere is that true more than Cook County. This weekend, we talk with the woman responsible for the county health system and the county criminal justice system and the whole county government for that matter. It's Tony Preckwinkle. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore and this is At Issue. My guest this week is Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. She was elected to her present job in 2010. She was a Chicago alderman for several years before that. She continues to shepherd county government through its many challenges, and the number of challenges does not seem to be lessening as we go on. Uh, we are recording this interview in the president's office in the county building. Tony Preckwinkle, thank you for playing host again. Thank you very much for coming to to see me, Craig. Um, you and the head of your health and hospital system have been sounding the alarm about the American Health Care Act. Uh, that is the legislation passed by the U.S. House to replace the so-called Obamacare, that's uh, more properly known as the Affordable Care Act. The Senate still has to act on it. What is your fear about what the upper chamber will do? Well, first of all, I think it's important for our listeners to understand how important the Affordable Care Act has been to the people of Cook County and to our health and hospital systems. 480,000 people, almost half a million people, got health care coverage under the Affordable Care Act in Cook County. Half a million people. And of those, 145,000 of them were in our own Cook County Care, which is a managed care Medicaid program that we were able to uh, put together as a result of the Affordable Care Act. So half a million people got health care coverage who didn't have it before. 145,000 of those are in our Cook County Health and Hospital System County Care Managed Medicaid Expansion Program. For the people who got care, it's been a godsend because what happens in this country, what happened in this country previously is those who were poor and had no insurance and of course no money to pay for their care ended up in the emergency rooms when they were desperately ill. And they did not go regularly to primary care physicians or to specialty care physicians because they didn't have the resources to do it. And that's of course the worst way to deliver health care in an emergency room. And the Affordable Care Act enabled people to get health insurance, to have a medical home, to have a place where they got primary care, to get specialty care, and to have their chronic diseases managed and to keep them out of emergency rooms. So they got insulin for their diabetes, they got medicine for hypertension or for heart disease. It was a godsend to people. Um, it's also been a godsend, frankly, to our health and hospital system. When, when I came into office in 2010, the 2010 budget, the taxpayers of Cook County were contributing $400 million to our health and hospital system. In this year's budget, it's something like 111, 112 million. So there's a almost $300 million difference, and it's all the result, almost all the result, of an influx of federal dollars to support health care for the indigent, <clears throat> as opposed to our Cook County taxpayers uh, bearing that burden by themselves. So public hospital systems around the country, safety net hospitals that serve the indigent, 
neighborhood health clinics, federally qualified health clinics, all were the beneficiaries of having insured patients who were previously uninsured as a result of the Affordable Care Act. And, of course, what the House did was basically um, try to wipe the program out, eliminate it. And the, the Congressional Budget Office reviewed the legislation um, the previous legislation, the legislation that passed was even more draconian, but reviewed the previous legislation and estimated that 24 million Americans would lose their health care coverage over the next decade. And I think um, when they finish their review of this measure, we'll see that even more people are, are projected to lose coverage. So this is, a, this is a nightmare for the people around the country, and especially in Cook County, who got coverage under the Affordable Care Act, and for our health care system, not just our public system, but more broadly the, the health care system in this country, which got a, an influx of tremendous federal resources to support the care of the poor. Do you believe that if the system goes is, is forced back into the days of old when you simply went to the emergency, you went to the hospital, that was your primary doctor, was the hospital. Right. Um, and Cook County Hospital, the the. the uh, provider, provider of, of last, last resort. resort. Yes. Uh, uh, is that the kind of thing that the people, the patients themselves will feel as opposed to something that just affects government? It, 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 some of this is just a matter of shifting the burden from the federal government to the local government, but people will still have to get care because the, if they come to Cook County Hospital, you're going to have to take care of them. Quite true. Um, we, let me talk about the fiscal impacts first. Our estimate is that uh, the fiscal impact on Cook County will be between 300 and 800 million dollars. That's a lot of money out of a 4.2 billion dollar budget. Um, so it's not just that we'll lose the support that we've gotten for the federal from the federal government for the people who are in our own managed care program. It's that people who are covered by other insurers, so Blue Cross. Blue Shield, for example, has a Medicaid expansion program. So people will be covered by other insurers, and then they will lose that coverage and come to us as well. So we anticipate we anticipate a, a dramatic increase in the number of uninsured patients that we see, and the cost implications there are clear. And I don't know about you, but the fact that I have health insurance is a real um, blessing. I feel it's a blessing. I, I would be struggling if I didn't have health insurance. Um, I know that you have a son in, in his 20s, my daughter is in her 20s, when she was no longer eligible to be covered by uh, health care, on my health care, I've supported her getting her own health care coverage because mm -hmm. I think that's really important. You know, uh, that that security, that um, knowledge that, that when you're ill, you can go to the doctor and not have to worry about being bankrupt as a result. Um, or being turned away because you don't have insurance. So I think it's not just the impact on the on the healthcare systems. It's how people feel about the security of their lives, and I think it's really important that um, I'm in I'm in favor of universal healthcare coverage, and I think it's really important that all of us have have uh, insurance and have the opportunity to access quality care. Now the uh, Republicans in on Capitol Hill say that the their version of the health care reform, and admittedly it's going to go through some changes uh, when the Senate gets hold of it. Uh, that ensures that 
almost everyone who wants health care coverage, uh, rich or poor, will be able to get it or, to use the vernacular down there, will have access to it. Um, do you believe you know, access isn't the same yeah, as affordability? I, I know. Yes, yes. I, I have access to a Maserati, but uh, you know I can't afford one. Um, and, uh, I, and I'm stealing that line probably from Senator Durbin. But uh, but I mean, do you believe they are lying or just mistaken? I'm not going to speculate on what motivates them. Let's look at the effects. The Congressional Budget Office looked at a less draconian version of the House bill that passed and said 24 million people over the de next decade would lose health care coverage. They haven't evaluated the measure that actually passed. I anticipate that it will show that even more than 24 million people will lose their health care coverage. I don't care what motivates them. I think this is a disastrous result. Let me ask the the other, uh, you know, waiting for the other shoe to drop question. If your efforts don't succeed and we do go back to that system, what has to happen in county government if that more than $300 million impact hits, but you still have to deliver the health care? You know, I'm very proud of the fact that Cook County has had a public health system for 180 years. For 180 years, we have provided care to people who either didn't have money or didn't have insurance, people who were citizens, people who were residents, people who were undocumented. Anybody who came to our door in need of care, we served. We will continue to do that. We'll figure out a way to do that. But it's going to be very, very difficult. And we are working with others around the country uh, to try to be sure that the Senate does not proceed with this draconian measure that was passed in the House. And uh, I'm hopeful, and I understand from, from our lobbyists in Washington, that it's unlikely that the House bill will pass the Senate. Um, I'm hopeful that the Senate passes a more reasonable measure, uh, and then we'll see what happens. But this is a, um, you know, I, I got a tough job, and it's made more difficult by things that are entirely outside of my control, namely the decisions made in Washington about how we're going to provide health care to people in this country. You you criticized Governor Rauner uh, recently for not raising more questions about the Republican plan before it passed the House. Um, he has always said he had concerns about the plan. Uh, what more should he have done, and what good would it have done? He should have said it was a terrible idea. I mean, you know, John Kasich, the Republican governor of Ohio, has talked quite publicly about what a disaster this would be for Ohio. Now, Ohio took Medicaid expansion, and they've used the Medicaid expansion program to address behavioral health and substance abuse issues, in particular the heroin and opioid epidemic that has devastated many of our communities and is particularly uh, a challenge in Ohio. Uh, and he has spoken out publicly. He's encouraged Republicans in Congress not to proceed with this and been quite emphatic about the negative effects that it will have on his state. Governor Rauner did not choose to do that. And I specifically asked him to do it. And I pointed out that, that John Kasich, another Republican, had done what I felt was the important thing to do, to talk about how this was going to be a nightmare. Um, and he did not, he was not willing to do that. I, I asked him to do it publicly. I asked him to talk publicly, to talk privately to, to the Republicans in Congress about it. He declined to do that either. What he said he was going to do was ask his lobbyists to talk to people. I said, 
look, it comes a point where speaking out yourself and making personal calls yourself is really critical. And he declined to do it. Do you believe that that effort would have borne fruit if someone as as high profile as Governor Kasich couldn't turn the tide? I don't know, but it was surely the right thing to do, and he didn't do it. Um, one more thing on this. Uh, what is your advice to the public if something close to what we're seeing now on Capitol Hill passes? What, what do you tell people to do? Well, let me, hear, let me say again, um, Cook County has a public health and hospital system. For 180 years, we've provided care to those who had no insurance or no money. We will continue to do that. So our facilities will be open to people who lose their insurance as a result of actions taken in Washington. We will continue to provide care for them as we always have. Um, I want to turn to, because we do want to cover a little, a lot of ground here, and let me start one other topic, and that is uh, the latest sentencing guidelines uh, that were uh, ordered by uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Now, Illinois' Attorney General, Lisa Madigan, and 14 other Democratic attorneys general from uh, other states are urging the Justice Department to rescind those tough sentencing guidelines. Um, and it's basically giving the most severe sentences possible to people accused of, uh, of, of federal crimes. Uh, you have some strong feelings about that approach, uh, just to put it mildly. Well, what, what is wrong with what the, the, with the getting tough on crime that uh, Attorney General Sessions seems to believe would work? The first thing I should say is that I believe that Attorney General Sessions has unenlightened attitudes on race and is anti-immigrant. So I find him a profoundly disturbing public figure. Uh, the second thing is, you know, we've tried being tough on crime. It doesn't work. It does not work. We have to be sensible about crime. We have to be sensible. Let me point out, and, and if, if our listeners only remember one thing that I said today, I hope this is it. We have 5% of the world's population in the United States, but 25% of the prisoners in the world. 25%. Now, unless you believe that Americans are more likely to be criminals than people elsewhere in the world, we're doing something terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Why should we a developed country, a wealthy country, have so many people in jail and prison. Why? Uh, let me just say, in our local jail, um, we have worked hard to reduce the number of people in the jail accused of nonviolent crimes, and we've had a great deal of success. The jail population is down 25%. And again, it's because we focused on people accused of nonviolent crimes, not convicted, accused of nonviolent crimes who are awaiting the disposition of their cases in the jail. But if you look at our jail population, and our jail is not unusual in this respect, it's, our jail is full of poor black and brown people. And the jails in this country are full of poor people of color. You know, our system not only incarcerates, detains and incarcerates large numbers of people, our own citizens, our own residents, but it disproportionately impacts black and brown people. It's disgraceful. And so the idea that the attorney general is promoting the idea that people should get longer sentences for crimes is a travesty.
You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and I'm talking with Cook County Board President Tony Prankwickle. We are recording this interview at her office. I want to continue this thought because, uh, frankly, on our on this program, uh, we have addressed the issue of uh, of criminal justice reform many times. It's some it's a topic I believe we need to keep going back to. Um, Thank you. But this was one area not just in Illinois, but across the country, where it seemed that Republicans and Democrats were coming together for different reasons and saying, we agree, we need to do something different. What is the effect? I mean, what, what happens when the attorney general, somebody who had been way to the, to the, to the right on this uh, issue, is now the person calling the shots? I think it's a disaster. Let's talk a little bit about why the environment changed. I think, um, so the Democrats, us, us bleeding hearts, have always been concerned about the social justice aspect of this. The fact that our jails are full of poor people of color. A number of Republicans have come to the conclusion that it doesn't make any sense for us to spend so much money on our criminal justice system. If you live in a country which has these incredible detention and incarceration rates, think of what you're spending that you could spend on other things. It costs us $162 a day to keep somebody in jail. We spend more on keeping people in jail for a year than we do on educating our kids in a year. It costs more than $52,000 to keep somebody in jail for a year. And in the public schools in Chicago, what do we spend, Ten dollars or $12,000 per kid? Think of what we could do with the extra resources if we weren't putting so many people in jail for petty antisocial behavior, for small-time drug possession, or for not paying their traffic tickets, or not paying their child support, or shoplifting, or prostitution. The things people do, for example, prostitution and shoplifting to get money for their drugs. We could have money to invest in job training. We could have money to invest in public education. We could have money to invest in infrastructure. And instead, we're spending incredible amounts of money, as I said, detaining people in local jails and imprisoning people in prisons. And so the social justice people, concerned about the disproportionate impact of our criminal justice system on black and brown and poor people, and the people who are concerned about government spending, have come together to say, let's not put so many people in jail. Let's not put so many people in prison for little stuff. I'm not saying we shouldn't put people in prison for rape and murder. Yes, we should. But for people who are accused of possession of small amounts of marijuana or controlled substances, people who shoplift, what are we putting them in jail for? This doesn't make any sense to me. And as I said, we've come, we were coming to a consensus from the social justice side and from the government expenditure side that this doesn't make any sense. And then Jeff Sessions gets to be attorney general. Um, is this going to have to be a matter in the coming years of simply focusing on the state justice, criminal justice system, and just hoping that, you know, individual U.S. attorneys, uh, you know, try, try to <laughs> do what they can at their level, but they've been ordered to seek the highest sentences? Or is this up to the judges now? Well, there's always been judicial discretion. Um, in the federal and the local courts. And we hope that judges will be more sensible about this than the attorney general apparently is. Uh, let's turn to one other uh, justice-related thing, and that's the uh, sanctuary uh, movement, uh, such as it is. And uh, 
Jeff Sessions has also, uh, and and the president, have, have pretty much joined together on saying that any uh, jurisdiction that doesn't cooperate with uh, the immigration authorities when they're doing what they do uh, should not get federal justice funds, uh, anti-violence funds, uh, anti-crime funds. Uh, what kind of effect could that have on Cook County? Well, first of all, I, I wanted to be clear that we believe that we follow all applicable federal laws regarding immigration. However, we are not federal immigration agents, and we're not going to do the work of the federal government uh, around immigration issues. Um, I'm proud of the fact that the city of Chicago and Cook County are sanctuary cities and sanctuary counties, respectively. And we have gone to court with friend-of-the-court briefs um, in Santa Clara County in, in California and in San Francisco County, San Francisco City, um, in those cases in which the, the local municipality or the local county has challenged the federal government's efforts to take resources away from sanctuary cities and counties and will continue to pursue every legal remedy we can uh, to prevent the administration from sanctions. But if... I mean, at the moment, uh, at least one judge uh, has has blocked any any uh, taking away of funds. But the administration plans to appeal. It it can it could get up to a level of court where that attitude won't be the same. What would Cook County lose if it were found to be in violation of what uh, they insist is an agreement? When these grant, where is these grants are concerned? Well, at the moment, um, the funding that's in jeopardy is a relatively modest amount of money one one point three million dollars. Um, our our broader concern is that if they're successful in this argument that sanctuary cities and counties are somehow in violation of federal law, they will come after us more broadly uh, in terms of federal resources that come to cities and counties. So we're challenging them. Um, I have confidence that our challenges will be successful. I mean, you know, President Trump has proceeded to do some interesting things in his first few months in office. Uh, a number of them have been challenged in the courts, and I'm hopeful that this particular challenge to sanctuary cities and counties will will uh, be successful. Um, I want to turn to uh, a, a more local issue, and it has to do with taxes. Uh, as you know, this week, uh, retailers uh, and labor groups uh, mounted an effort to try to repeal or to try fight for a repeal of the sweetened beverage tax. Uh, and uh, they have started a Can the Tax campaign. And frankly, it's it's aimed at changing a vote that was so close that you had to cast the deciding vote. Uh, yes, I did, proudly. Yeah. What should people know about this effort? Uh, they're saying that this is something that will hurt retailers, that once it goes into effect, which I believe is July 1st, uh, that people are going to go elsewhere to buy their beverages. Yes, this beverage tax will go into effect July 1st. And let me just say, if you want good government, you have to pay for it. And we were looking for resources to support government. And remember, overwhelmingly what the county does is two things. Public health, that's 46% of our budget. 
public safety. That's the courts and the jails. That's 41% of our budget. So 87% of our budget is public health and public safety. 13% is everything else. Road maintenance, animal control, air quality monitoring, environmental sustainability. It's a long list of other things, but it's only 13% of the budget. So when we looked at the next several years and our, our fiscal challenges, um, in particular, if we didn't have additional resources, we were going to have to lay off doctors or nurses, um, <coughs> correctional officers in the jail, state's attorneys, public defenders. It was going to have a pretty dramatic and negative impact on our operations, on our services to the people of Cook County. And when you have to look at, at revenue increases, you try to do the least detrimental thing that you can. And what we picked was a tax on sweetened beverages. And it's a tax which has health benefits in addition to the fact that it raises revenues. And let me give an example. We all know that sweetened beverages aren't good for us. They aggravate hypertension. They contribute to heart disease. They aggravate, of course, diabetes. And we have a real obesity challenge in this country that, of course, sweetened beverages contribute to as well, particularly in African-American and Latino communities. We have these, these health challenges. So we said, let's do something that is going to have positive health impacts as well as raise revenue, and that was a tax on sweetened beverages, which they've had in other places in the country for a little bit longer than we have here in, in, in Cook County. But let me just say, you know, I'll come back to my original point. If you want to have good government, you have to be willing to pay for it. And one of the challenges we have at the state level, for example, now, it's clear that we need more resources there, and we can't get a consensus on whether to raise resources and how much, and as a result, it's one of the big contributing factors to the, to the present stalemate in Springfield, which has been a disaster for this state. We have had in Cook County balanced budgets every year that I've been president. We've worked hard with our Board of Commissioners to achieve those balanced budgets, and I'm, I'm proud of the fact that we're so fiscally responsible. Let's talk for a minute about a comparative um, government effort to raise revenue and to impact uh, people's behavior. In the 1960s, 42% of the adults in this country smoked. Now, everybody knows smoking is terrible for you. Even people who smoke know that it's not good for them. And how do we reduce smoking? Smoking in the adult population is now down to 15%. And the way we did that was to heavily tax cigarettes, to restrict the places in which you could smoke, and to run a public education campaign about how bad smoking was for you. And we've seen a dramatic impact by, re by reducing the number of adults who smoke since the 1960s, what's that, 50, in the last 50 years. And we hope the same thing is true in terms of sweetened beverages. And what we've seen in Berkeley, which has had this in place for a while, is people don't stop consuming beverages. They consume more 100% juice, more milk, especially more water. Um, so they change their habits in ways that are good for their health. And that's what we're trying to promote here as well. Um. You know, around uh, the Chicago area, all things seem to come down to politics. The uh, um, people who want to repeal this tax have actually focused a lot of their attention on one commissioner who was not here, and that was Robert Steele. Uh, uh, have you talked to Commissioner Steele? Uh, they're, 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 a lot of what they said during their news conference was aimed at, at Commissioner Steele, trying to swing him to their side so that they have the votes. I, uh, I wasn't present at the press conference. I've heard reports. Commissioner Steele was absent that day because he was in the hospital, which mm -hmm. I find a very good excuse for not being present for a meeting. Um, it's my conviction that 
Commissioner Steele believes, as I do, that it's very important to run government responsibly and that this is a reasonable way in which to raise revenue. Um, We only have, uh, oh, about a minute left. Uh, So I can ask you the questions that uh, sometimes, depending upon which of them they are, it is, uh, you don't take a long time to answer. Uh, But uh, who do you like for governor now that we actually have a gubernatorial campaign going this early? Um, I'm a good Democrat. I would I would enthusiastically support any of the five uh, gentlemen who are running for governor on the Democratic side. The Cook County Democratic Party will meet in August to choose a candidate, and I'm reserving judgment until then. Um, will you be uh, in, endorsing or be behind whoever is slated? That's my intention, yes. Okay, and then the last question is is always people keep wondering if and when you're going to run for mayor of Chicago. You know, I I ran for alderman um, twice before I was elected in 1991 because I wanted to be alderman. I served as alderman for 19 years. Uh, I I got this job in 2010. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be reelected in 2014. I will seek reelection one more time. Thank you very much. That is Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. Thanks for spending the time, or better yet, even having me in uh, for this interview. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is cbschicago.com. You can also find our podcast on play.it. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue. I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.